You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to the Prologue, a weekly program bringing you introductions to writers and books you may not be familiar with. My name is Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host. I'm an author myself, and you can find my work on Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, and you can go to my personal website, www.dougdahlgren.com. Now, we call this show the prologue because that's just what it is. And while our introductions are mainly for writers, we love to bring you interesting people with that good story to tell from other fields and other endeavors as well. Now, let me ask you something, you listeners out there. Do you have a pen and a pencil, or a pencil handy? Do you have something to write on? All right, we're going to give you a second. Go get them. We'll sit here and think of something to do while you get that, because you're going to want something to write on, I promise you. You see, there's going to be information that we give out through this show that you're going to want to make a note of. Like this, for instance. I'm assuming you're back. If you or someone you know has a book or that interesting story that just needs to be told, I want you to reach out to me. And there's two ways you can do that on email. Doug at DougDahlgren.com or Doug at AmericasWebRadio.com. I'd love to speak with you about yourself or that friend and schedule you for a future program. Now, our guest author today is a returning friend of this show. A writer who has been here before. In fact, she just about has earned her own parking spot out here outside the station. Now, her first book, Couch Time with Carolyn, has won praise and awards to the point that as her readers had asked and hoped, it inspired her to write a novel. Or should I say, her first novel. That's what we're all hoping it'll be. Katie Hart Smith is here this hour, and she brings us a story of a small town girl seeking to find her place in the larger world. It's a period piece set just over 100 years ago with characters who spring to life from her pages. Now, before we start our conversation with Katie, I want to take a minute and recognize two very special groups of listeners that we have. Uh, I'm, I'm going to recognize them anyway. There's some dissension about that uh, at government level, but we're going to talk about it anyhow. Our servicemen and women who are in uniform around the world. They're working hard every day to protect us from the evil that is out there. Folks, freedom's not free. It's bought and paid for daily by these brave men and women in that uniform, and we thank them very much for what they do. Also, we want to thank our first responders who are here at home, in our cities and our towns where we live, those police, fire, and rescue personnel who rush to our aid when we need their help. It's weird times in this country right now, folks. Those folks out there who are doing these jobs don't know who you are. They don't know what color you are, and they don't care. They don't know what religion you profess, and they don't care about that either. All they care about is you and that you might need their help. So putting themselves in harm's way, if necessary, is a part of their job on a daily basis. I want you to remember that and thank them when you see them. Our author this hour brings us a tale about life. One's hopes and dreams that can seem so very far away. Circumstances fueled by alcohol and abuse can be crushing to a person's spirit, yet those situations can turn quickly through either luck or, in some cases, tragedy. The novel is written by Katie Hart Smith, 
The title is Aspirations of the Heart, and this is your prologue. Addie Engel wishes for a better life, one in the distant big city. Where she could make it on her own, she just knows she could if she were just old enough. Her heart longs to go there, but reality stands in her way. Her reality is compromised by an abusive father and the pending loss of the family home. There's an old adage that warns, be careful what you wish for. And that adage comes true for Addie in the form of a tragic day and a severe loss. But those events also become the answer to her longings. Her once crushed dreams are now a possibility. She finds the means to fulfill her aspirations of the heart. The author Katie Hart Smith is here. Welcome back to the prologue, Katie. Thank you, Doug. It's great to be back on your show again. Wonderful to have you here. You have been busy since we last saw you. (laughs) I think you're a member of a club that I'm a member of for about the last seven years. Do you want to tell us about your hip? Oh, yes. I've just joined the Total Hip Replacement Club, and... uh, you know, I don't think I realized how <laughs> how stiff and immobile I was until I had it done. So, yeah, eight weeks out and kicking and screaming and taking names. So everything's all good. Outstanding. Well, I tell you, there's a lot of people out there uh, that need this and are afraid to have it done. I know it's an apprehensive thought when you think about what goes on to have a hip replaced, mm-hmm. but it is well worth it. So It is. And yeah. always do the physical therapy afterwards and do what your doctor tells you Amen and you're on the road to recovery. All right. Well, we're going to quit lecturing to folks now and get <laughs> on to the fun stuff. Uh, now, you have been busy. How has Couch Time with Carolyn been doing while we were away? Couch Time with Carolyn has had an, an a great impact on the readers. Um, it has spawned a lot of great book discussions for book clubs. In fact, I'm doing a book club that will be highlighting Couch Time with Carolyn in August. And um, it is still, when you're talking about life's lessons, and um, those teaching moments are just still so pertinent and people are hungry for that information and they enjoy sharing their own personal stories and how couch time with carolyn relates to their own personal life and their own personal stories and that's what resonates with readers you also received a very nice nomination for georgia author of the year last year did you not tell us about that that was um, an incredible process. It was nominated by my editor and uh, Sally Boyles, and uh, the book was um, nominated uh, for Georgia Author of the Year. And while I didn't win, I thought, my goodness, it's just a humbling experience to be nominated, to be in a room full of people who share like-minded interests and have incredible pieces of work out there. And so it was really a day of celebration for all writers involved. It's quite an honor to be nominated. My goodness. Thank you. uh, We we congratulate you on that. Um, Have you done a lot of traveling, a lot of promoting and all? I have. Um, You know, I think behind every good book is a very good author who must promote and be able to talk to their about their work and talk to their work Um, because you know your work inside and out and how best it relates to the readers, um, what issues may be addressed inside your story, and um, people want to know about the author and that person who put those words on paper. And I think that's key. You know, you've got to put yourself out there. It can be a little scary and daunting sometimes, but it is important to back your work and have that confidence and that self-esteem to go, yes, this is my work and I'm so proud of it. And it's a gift and a present when it's released. Great segue into the next question here. Remind us again about your background and your experience in writing. 
I've been a published author for, author for over 20 years. Um, I started, my background is nursing, so I started in the medical and academic publication. Um, I did nursing test book, textbooks and articles for healthcare publications, and then it just spawned. I mean, I've always loved writing. Even as a little girl, my mom would tell me I was writing on anything that, you know, I had crayons and construction paper, notebooks. You name it, I was writing my own stories even at an early age. And so um, writing has always been my passion. It has always been there for me. And it's, it, it is my happy place. And um, I'm just so blessed to be able to cultivate these stories now in a fictional sense and take people on a journey that they may have never realized before. Well, initially you had two memoirs. Uh, in fact, Couch Time with Carolyn was a memoir, but it wasn't your first. Uh, you, you were published uh, some years ago with a memoir titled In the Face of Disaster. Real quick, tell us a little bit about that. Remind us about it. That was when um, I belonged to a group of Atlanta chapter of orthopedic nurses, and uh, the Red Cross came to us after the Flint River cr- flooded in 96, and they needed our assistance to lead volunteers via busloads down to uh, the disaster scene. And so a friend of mine and I volunteered and didn't know what we were getting into, but we figured we were doing this for a good cause and we'd figure it out, as resourceful nurses do. And so we got down there and we provided assistance to those who needed it the most, who lost their homes. It was such a devastating scene, um, but we helped with the recovery efforts. And on the bus ride back, it was about four and a half hours to get down there on the commuter buses uh, that Cobb County had loaned uh, the Red Cross. And in doing so, I wrote on scratch pieces of paper, you name it, anything I could find. I was sharpening my pencil with my thumbnail. I was trying to write and just account for the day. It was so impactful. And the Orthopedic Nursing Journal ran that article that following month. And it just proves to you that whether you're a nurse or you're whatever your occupation is, you know, when people need help or assistance, you know, humanity shines through. And that article really was a demonstration to show that nurses can can practice and help other people beyond just the hospital setting. Oh, yes. It touched quite a number of people. In fact, just the efforts that you guys did going down to Albany. This year, what year, what year was this again? 85, was it? I think it was 90. I can't remember. Okay. I, I don't want to misquote. Maybe 1993. Okay. I can't remember. All right. But it was the major flood. Albany yeah. was underwater. Absolutely. It was a major mess. Houses were submerged. Yes. They had a new uh, community center that had just been built there on Broad Street, I believe, or Oglethorpe Avenue, one of the two, and it was underwater, and uh, it was it was quite a mess. And you guys went down there to volunteer, and then you wrote this, tired as you had to have been, hmm. in the dark on note paper that you could get a hold of on the bus on the way back. Uh, and it gets published and, yeah. and really touched a lot of people. Um, how long was it until you actually got around to, to writing again? It was probably um, a few more years, but I was doing more contract work. Mm -hmm. I was writing articles for uh, Pulse Magazine or Nursing Spectrum Magazine and served as a contract writer. And so that, to me, is a little different because you're being given story leads, you're following up with the lead, and then you're writing the story, um, which is a little different. But um, I loved it as well because I got to learn about so many healthcare professionals and leaders and new things that were going on in the medical world. So, again, helping to contribute to that 
that timeline of literature and medicine. Absolutely. Aspirations of the Heart is a fiction novel, a little bit different, and we're going to ask you about that in a little bit. But tell us, where can folks find out more about Aspirations of the Heart and more about you? Where can they order this book? Well, you can find me on my website at www.katie.smith.com. Okay, and Amazon? As well as online book retailers to include Amazon and Kindle and Barnes & Noble and my fabulous publishing house, Deeds Publishing in Athens, Georgia. Outstanding. Folks, again, the title is Aspirations of the Heart. The novelist is Katie Hart-Smith. We're tickled to have her in studio this morning, and we're going to be back with more from her after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Are your health insurance premiums going up? You are not alone. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org to understand why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. This is Grace Marie Turner, President of the Galen Institute. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Dr. George from Peachtree ENT Center. We've won patient care awards and have the highest patient recommendations because we believe in practicing medicine the old-fashioned way. Practicing good medicine is based in listening to the patient and making a care plan that is individual. The best medical care is given when there is a strong doctor-patient relationship built on mutual trust and respect. At Peachtree ENT Center, we believe in taking care of the whole patient because healing is more than writing a prescription. Whether you have problems hearing, have frequent throat or sinus infections, from the time you call our office and speak to a real person, you'll be treated as an individual and not as an ailment. During your visit, you will not be rushed and all your questions will be answered. When possible, natural treatments will be recommended to fix the problem. If surgery is recommended, cost-effective, minimally invasive treatment for snoring, sleep apnea, or sinus problems will be offered because Peachtree ENT Center is where patient care counts. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're back. We're here this morning with Katie Hart-Smith, author of Aspirations of the Heart. This is her second published book. The first was a memoir called Couch Time with Carolyn, and this is a novel. And tell us, what was more fun to write, the memoir or the novel? I actually have to say the novel was a lot more fun to write. Um, the memoir, again, you're talking from places that can be raw and very vulnerable and sometimes can be difficult to relate in words. Um, it's very self-exposing when you do a work of that nature. I do enjoy writing historical fiction. It goes back to my roots of academic and medical writing because you've got to have your facts straight 
you know, um, and very important to cite, you know, when you look at your source work and you're researching the project. And so for me, I found my joy and my new love in the historical fiction series. If you get in a corner, you can paint yourself out of it. (laughs) Exactly. That's what I like. What was the inspiration, the genesis of uh, Aspirations of the Heart? Aspirations of the Heart was inspired by my grandma, affectionately called her Gigi. Um, Gigi grew up in southern Indiana in Davies County, kind of outside of Evansville, Indiana. And it was her plot in life that her father felt that she and her sister were to stay on the family farm get married, have kids, and that was it. And they were very poor, very poor farmers. And my grandmother had great aspirations for herself. She wanted to educate herself. She knew education was the key to breaking the chains of poverty. And as a result, she applied to Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis for their nursing school. And you have to remember back then, there weren't many occupations that a woman could hold. Um, uh, You're talking teacher or secretary or stenographer or seamstress. And education, you know, unless you were from a wealthy family, could afford a college, it was very difficult for a woman to seek out higher education. But she knew that nursing was going to be her way out of breaking the chains and off the farm. So uh, they back in the day, they didn't have scrub uniform shops where you could go get your uniform. Um, so she had to make her uniform. They sent patterns. And so she and her mom would make her uniform during the day and then hide her nursing uniform in her hope chest at the end of her bed at night. So when her father came in off the fields, he had no idea what was going on until one day he came home and she has was gone and she had left for Indianapolis to enroll into nursing school with her nursing uniform in hand and as a result it forever fractured their relationship and it forever fractured um, the family and put a big strain on them because she became she drew that line in the sand she was willing to make that sacrifice to say I want more out of this life I know there's so much more in me and um, while she defied her father's orders which in wishes, which was unheard of for that time, they did disown her. It became an estranged relationship. So my mom really never knew her aunt or her, you know, her cousins or anything. It forever fractured that relationship. So now, Grandma, this was the time period about a hundred years ago. Is it was wow. You really had to be committed to what you wanted to do back then, didn't you? You, you didn't did. Just, you didn't just run down to the corner store and pick up a uniform and then go play games doing it no she worked a part-time job at the, as an old telephone operator switchboard operator where you were plugging in your phone calls and she made and saved money while she was up in indianapolis and going to school and going to nursing school and she worked hard and she taught us what sacrifice was she taught us the importance of education um you know when she married my grandfather they traveled the world they traveled to japan and china and And I'm so proud of her for doing that because my mom, I can boast, has two master's degrees. You know, it forever changed our lineage. My sister and I both have our master's degree. And it forever changed our trajectory for who we could be as women in this world. And our options were infinite. And it changed us. Now, was Grandma the inspiration for Katie Hart to become a nurse? She was. Actually, both of my grandmothers are very instrumental in who I was and became who I am today. Um, My father's mother was an incredible businesswoman and had her own company business um, and own family business in Shelbyville, Indiana. And then my grandmother, Gigi, being a nurse, 
again, I loved both aspects of business and nursing, and they both were very influential in my career choices. Absolutely. You, you had a pretty good time doing it, too. Yes. I think. Now, something that a little inside baseball here, but writers always have to pay off their title. Somewhere in the book, you will find the reference exactly the way the title is. You didn't waste any time. I mean, first paragraph, page one, you pay off aspirations of the heart. Uh, Talk about that. Did you just want to get it out there, or what was the deal? No, because I knew aspirations of the heart. I love wordplay. Aspirations can mean you're striving for something greater to aspire, to achieve. But also in medicine, aspire can also mean aspirate, to take out, to remove. You know, so um, I loved that word play. And so throughout the book, I actually pepper it in. Um, but I did want to go hit a home run right off the bat and swing you it out that. of the park and hit that message home as to why this is called Aspirations of the Heart. It's your hook. It draws that reader in to understand this is where I'm going to take you on this journey. And I hope to deliver you there at the end of the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really do. Now, the heroine of the story, the protagonist, as it were, is Addie. And tell us a little bit more about her. How much more does she mirror your grandmother? I think she's a spitfire. And so my grandmother was a complete spitfire. Um, my grandma lived to be 102, and she just lived her life on her terms. And I enjoyed mirroring a character after her who was kind of going to buck society's expectations but you can do so and still be a lady by doing it and i liked that um juxtaposition of how you could kind of do your thing and create your own path in this world but you can do so when you find your passion and it it unfolds before you and that's what happens for this character addie with Addie's age, initially in the book, she's somewhat young. Mm-hmm. What is the target audience for this book? This target audience could be from, I mean, young adult all the way to adult. While the main character starts out at, on the verge of being 18, you have to remember being 18 back then, you were married, had children, and you were probably what we would be as in our 20s to 30s today. So that character... Um, is mimicking that 20 to 30 year old to who we are today um but for anyone who loves southern historical fiction men women this book and if you love atlanta and historical facts about atlanta this book is for you what genre would you put aspirations of the heart in it's kind of a combination but do you label it any particular way i do i say it's historical fiction okay all right you go into a great bit of detail. The city far away is Atlanta, folks. Uh, the, the the town that Addie is from is called Hope, Georgia. I believe that's just kind of something that you made up in your own little mind. It was. Uh, does it resemble Cornelia or anything like that? Or um, I would say it'd be somewhere out in Lawrenceville. Outside Lawrenceville. of Lawrenceville okay. would be my um, little pinpoint on the map of where I projected this hundred years city. ago, that was uh, out of reach. It was. Yeah. It was a completely agricultural farming dairy community. Yep. Okay. So the history of Atlanta is very important to the story. How did you research what things were actually like over a hundred years ago in Atlanta? 
I thought it was important to be intellectually honest when it came to that research side, and I used a plethora of materials. I did a lot of research and reading. It took about six months to kind of get it all under my belt and read and do my resource work. Uh, fabulous if for anybody who's writing or wanting to do stories in, based in Atlanta or you want to get a flavor of what was going on in Atlanta, highly recommend Franklin Garrett's Atlanta and Environs. He is a pivotal person in this uh, Atlanta community who contributed an immense amount of historical work and research and traveled to the different grave sites and where people are buried and contributed to what was going on in the newspapers and the culture and what buildings were being built and who was in a the politic in the political scene um, from elected officials locally, and he was uh, a, an incredible um, contributor for a lot of my research. Athens Herald newspapers newspapers were key, and the fabulous thing is you can go online now and get access to those archives. The Atlanta Journal, the Atlanta Constitution, they weren't the you know when they were separate papers back then. Even the historical map I got at Oakland Cemetery, um, which was pivotal because I was able to put it on my dining room table, map out the story, because back then Atlanta was divided into wards, and there were 10 wards at that particular time. So I could take the story and cultivate it and create it into these various wards, but have it visually mapped out so I knew where everybody was, and it was pertaining to particular true areas of business that were going that were built in that particular area in that time. Also, I found like the city of Atlanta, that history, their website is phenomenal for archival data. My grandmother's own nursing textbooks. As I take this book, um, Aspirations to the Heart, it is the first in a series. So it will be the springboard for us this series. And so my grandmother's nursing textbooks, which I still have, um, are precious. And I will be incorporating those into this whole series and um, even my own life experiences. My father, uh, while he worked in the pharmaceutical industry and we were growing up in Dunwoody, Monday through Friday he traveled, but on Sundays he played the organ for the Shrine of the Immaculate Conception downtown. And so we would drive downtown and I would hear the story from the priests about how the shrine wasn't burnt down when Sherman came through. It was used as a hospital. So when I'm in seventh grade and I'm hearing these stories about Atlanta and Dad would drive us back on our Sunday drive back out of the city, we would he would point out buildings or take us down by the Fourth Ward or Grant Park or um, down Boulevard, down to Oakland Cemetery. And you can see... Atlanta come alive through your eyes and that's what I wanted to do with this book is take readers back down to the city of Atlanta and have them see Atlanta through a new set of eyes but discover that passion and that history that I love. You mentioned the the term ward. Atlanta Mm -hmm. still today, the fourth ward. You'll hear that mentioned although it's not as important maybe as it had been but what does that how did that system develop and what did it really represent in the city the ward system the wards um, had respective aldermen and it was was the respective neighborhoods so it was that they had all like represent- a district exactly so they all had representation um, when it came to politics and passing laws and legislation that may affect their ward perhaps it was in you know the sixth ward which is you know Peachtree Street you know huge businesses and uh, were along that corridor and so you know or maybe you were in the more residential fourth ward or in the factory area of the third ward. So again, as legislation was passed and things were being built and the city was emerging as the new south and the new star of the south, um, that's 
where that representation was coming from. And the politics was already in play. There. Always. Always. <laughs> what, with your research, did you learn about the Society of Atlanta back in 1913? I would say that the Society is probably, the issues that they are dealing with, we're dealing with then, are really no different than the issues we're dealing with today. So in Aspirations of the Heart, I took those very same issues of providing quality health care for people. You know, Grady became the first municipal hospital. And as a result, um, you know, they were trying to provide quality health care, but they were dealing with race relations with the Jim Crow laws. And uh, whites and blacks were separated in different institutions. Um, So those, and even in the issues of women, um, the suffragettes were starting to get their movement underway. They still didn't have the right to vote. So women, you were seeing this movement coming about um, where those very issues of people finding their identity, finding their aspirations of their heart, finding their passions, how they fit and could contribute to this city, those are the stories I merged and melted together and converged together to create aspirations of the heart. And you did so quite well. Folks, we are here this morning. We've got the pleasure of having Katie Hart-Smith in studio. We're talking to her about her new novel, Aspirations of the Heart, and we're going to be back with more from Katie after these short messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Whether cruising the Strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we are back. My name is Doug Dahlgren. We're here on the prologue this morning. We've got Katie Hart-Smith in studio. Uh, Katie's been here before. We talked with her about her memoir, A Couch Time with Carolyn, which really took off and touched a lot of people's hearts. And her readers kind of pushed her along, and Katie got inspired, and she brings us a novel. And we're finding out, though, this morning and talking to her, that this novel is also patterned after people from Katie's life. The main character is somewhat patterned after her grandmother. Uh, all of the characters in your story are so well-developed, uh, and they fit the time period. Uh, what did you do? 
who are the inspirations for these characters? Are they people that you knew other than Grandma, or are they just things you've made up? No, they were actually inspirations uh, that came to me as I was trying to tell this story. They were organic. Um, when I would take a look at old photographs from my grandmother's photo album, and I could imagine what the doctor's... Uh, looked like back then she has some fabulous pictures in her scrapbook from her nursing days and with her, her nursing colleagues and them in their nursing uniforms and the medical staff involved and funny pictures dancing with a skeleton you know from anatomy class so here I can imagine what this world was like back then and so what I found was as I was writing this story these characters just came to me because they felt right and as you know when the writing muse taps you on the shoulder and you let the story tell itself and you don't force it that's when the beauty unfolds and that's what happened with these characters and thank you for saying that well your mind gets into the time period and then everything fits well thank you i'm so glad to hear that um the character development was very important because you do want it to sound like they are in the 1913s and that their speech is authentic and um you know if they are from rural georgia they have that slang in their little twang in their voice and you could hear it so i appreciate that thank you well goodness the, the readers get to enjoy it that's the thing now you bring to life of these characters there are some who are good and yeah. then there are some maybe not so good uh Tell, we don't want to give the story away too much, but we've got to hear a little bit from the author about Lester Swan. Tell, tell us what you dare tell us about him. Well, Lester Swin, actually, he Schwinn, is very, uh, as I say, a schmarmy snake oil salesman. <laughs> he, um, In fact, when I was writing the draft for this book, I'll never forget, I brought a couple pages over to my mother-in-law. We sat down and had coffee one afternoon, and I was reading it to her. And I was reading this story, and when I got to this character, Lester Schwinn, she started wringing her hands. And as she's wringing her hands, I stopped reading the story, and I said, what's wrong? She said, I don't like this character. I said, but I'm just getting started. She goes, I know. I just don't like him. I can tell already he's evil. Not supposed to like him. (laughs) And I said, well, gosh, if you've had this much of a visceral response so quickly, that's wonderful because – you have to create a dynamic of your good characters and your bad characters but you don't want to go over the edge and you know make them too evil you know because then it's not believable right but you have to stay within that framework to keep them evil because you have to counter the good characters in it as well now earlier we were talking about the hospitals and nursing back in those days and how segregation affected that. Now your career was in nursing. Mm-hmm. How did you research a hundred years ago? How did you get the facts? Uh, because while this is fiction, I know you, and I know you wanted to stay as close to reality as possible. How did you research the way segregation affected that the hospital experience and nursing experience back then? Um, I had to go back to the city of Atlanta's website when they were talking about Grady. Um, and they did a beautiful job of explaining um, how Jim Crow laws were affecting them um, back then. And so even though the Civil War has come and gone, there were Jim Crow laws that continued to uh, prevent um, the 
immersion of the two whites and blacks. And so as a result, when you had the African-Americans at Grady and you had the whites at Grady, they were originally under one roof but on different corridors. But because of the laws and pressures of the politics at that time, they were pressured to build, um, and as they were expanding and growing, they had Butler Hall. So, um, and then the African-American population went to a different hospital down the street. So, um, unfortunate as it was back then, but I wanted to tell the story as it truly occurred then, and I had to do, uh, in my research and reading, to be authentic to that storyline then. But the fabulous thing is this story, as this, another character is an up-and-coming COO and founder of this hospital called Sacred Heart in Aspirations of the Heart. He has a different mindset, and he has a vision and a future for all of Atlantans coming together under one roof. And as he's building his new medical facility, um, he has a vision for the future. And that's what I love about this story in this series. Now, again, Aspirations of the Heart is historical fiction. Newspapers, you've already mentioned earlier that there were many more than we have today in the city of Atlanta. There were three major newspapers, really, and probably a bunch of little uh, monthlies or other types of of little one-fold papers. What was the difference? What set these newspapers apart? You had the uh, Constitution and the Journal, obviously, one in the morning, one at night. And then the other, another major paper, the name escapes me right now, but you mentioned it. What set these newspapers apart? Was there any particular political difference or just the editorial take on it? Or what, what was different about it? I think they're the owners and the storylines, um, you know, without having done a lot of research behind those particular papers themselves. But I would think with any newspaper, the, the stories that are being covered, like you said, the politics that influence, the distribution patterns, um, the owners. Obviously, you have two separate owners. And so um, with those papers, I drew on them, but then I came up with my own paper for Atlanta at the time in Aspirations of the Heart. We call it the Atlanta Dispatch. And so um, it was fun because you could see what the headlines were from both of those papers back at that, da- at that time. What was the weather like? What were the issues they were dealing with? What was going on politically, socially, fashion? You know, how much were mittens and scars being sold for? It's amazing how much a paper can tell you about a particular culture at that particular time. And I think both papers, both the Atlanta Journal and the Atlanta Constitution, did a beautiful job in their archival section of having that information and in pictures. You know, you could see what the old um, firehouses look like and the horse-drawn carriages and, you know, um, the horse-drawn ambulances before they became motorized. And so you're looking at a time when industry and mechanics and um, vehicles were changing, and you see that in the pictures in the paper. Were the papers back then more aligned with being accurate, or was it opinion that was just really being put out? I think, like today, I think you had a very lot, very accurate pieces. I mean, my goodness, you would read about you, the social side. I love it where I'm making this up, but you would see where Miss Fanny had a bridge party and, you know, they raised money at her bridge party and gave to a church function. You know, some of it was very actual and event-oriented on the social scene, um, which I think is quite 
adorable because you really got to see what was going on again and getting the flavor of what was going on in the city at that particular time. Yeah, building the social status. Exactly. And, of course, and like you said, social status, what buildings were being built, who were who were attending those grand ribbon-cutting events. Right. And politics, who who's was getting who? elected. Yeah, yeah, who's who in Atlanta. So The buildings and such. You also, again, this is historical. Folks, you're going to enjoy reading this just for the history of, yeah. of a lot of things that you wouldn't think of. But you mentioned the beginning of Rich's Department Store. Now, did you go to Federated? Did you reach out to them and get any information about that? Or how did you research the very beginnings of Rich's? Now, when I was doing my research, uh, again, online um, and through Atlanta and Environs in that series, um, you could, and I was mapping out in the city of Atlanta where everything was and who, where who, the, what the businesses were on Whitehall Street and uh, what they were called, Rich and Brothers, back then. So, uh, again, I just wanted to be authentic to the story and in the research discovered where they were located, what their address was, and when to keep it true. Also along the lines of history, you mentioned several new inventions and products throughout the story, but I've got to ask you to talk a little bit about the early days of the Oreo cookie. Yes, the Oreo cookie, 1912. You know, again, when the writing muse takes over, I love it because it takes you on a journey of, and tells helps you tell that story, and you're just that... You know, abil- the ability to tell a story that sometimes these pearls come along and you have to weave those pearls into that necklace of the storyline. So with the Oreos, I came across this and I thought um, that they came and were made in New Jersey. And, you know, back then that was the Yankees. And so I thought, well, gosh, this would be a great confection to have on the dining room table of a southern aristocrat and um but they won't tell the story of where they came from just yet and how they got them but i do enjoy um taking the true authentic pieces that were going on in food in the social life and the social scenes and kind of weaving them into the tale there's many other newfangled ideas from that time period that you mentioned i know i'm catching you kind of flat-footed on this question but Tell the folks, tease them a little bit about some of the other things that you allude to throughout the story, the newfangled ideas of that period. Well, I think with, you know, when you take a look at um, some of the new things that were going on, number one, I have to go back to education of women. This was a time when uh, women were coming together. Even the American Red Cross was started in Atlanta and then eventually moved their headquarters to New York. So you're seeing... Atlanta evolved. The federal pen, uh, federal pen was there and is huge. And, and um, when you drive down Boulevard and you take a look at and kind of transplant your mind back to that time of when you're driving down Boulevard and you're driving and you're passing the old cotton mill and then you're seeing Oakland Cemetery and you're driving past Grant Park and then you're going all the way down in Boulevard dead ends to the federal pen. But can you imagine taking that drive on a horse and buggy? It, it is something that if you've not done those drives or you're going through the fourth ward and you can imagine what it was like back then, that's where your imagination, I think, can take flight. Because after you read this book, you know, I would encourage people to go and take a tour and go back downtown and discover tidbits of Atlanta that they've not seen before. Coca-Cola was somewhat new back then, along with Doc Gray's Tonic. And Doc Gray's Tonic is part of your imagination, but still... 
Tell us a little bit about that, real quick. Um, I was fascinated with the tonics and the different medicinals that people were using. You know, in this day and age, we have all kinds of cure-alls and energetic drinks and injectables and things to make us healthy and beautiful and um, energized. So back then, it was the tonics for them. And so I wanted to create this world of health and vigor through a very mysterious tonic that got oh, developed. Yes. I think everybody knows where we're going with that. Folks, we're here with Katie Hart-Smith. We're talking about aspirations of the heart, and we're going to be back with more after these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren, on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And we are back. Again, my name's Doug Dahlgren. I'm proud that you're listening to the prologue this morning. We have a great guest in the studio. Katie Hart Smith is here. She's telling us about her new novel, Aspirations of the Heart. Now, we want the folks to uh, order this book. Uh, tell us again, right quick, where they can order Aspirations of the Heart. Aspirations of the Heart can be found at my publishing house in Athens called Deeds Publishing, and it's D-E-E-D-S, publishing.com. It can also be found on online book retailers, which is Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kindle, as well as you can go to my website, which is www.katie, K-A-T-I-E, Smith S-M-I-T-H, dot com. And we can tell you it is a book you will enjoy. Now, uh, what I want you to do at this point, how about giving the folks your two-minute pitch? You're at a book signing, and there's a <laughs> line standing here 12 deep, and they want to know why they should invest their hard-earned money and aspirations of the heart. Take the floor. Oh, thank you. Aspirations of the heart is just 
a heartwarming story that starts off a little tragically. But again, if you're a lover of Southern fiction, Southern historical fiction, you love the city of Atlanta, you love characters that are authentic to that time period, you love the world of medicine, you love the world of intrigue, you love the fact that someone's going to buck the system a little bit and be countered against some really toxic characters. And it's in those defining moments that I know the readers will find themselves drawn into these characters, vested in these characters, and then find themselves in this work. And I think that is where I'm hearing reviews from readers that after they finish reading Aspirations of the Heart, that they say, I couldn't put it down. It was a complete page turner. I read it in two nights. And when's the next one coming out? And that to me is so humbling because it's just a dream fulfilled. The accusation out there is that writers write what they know. And that certainly applies here. Katie, you are a nurse. You've worked in that field for a number of years. You're writing about a young girl whose aspirations are to become a nurse and to better herself. So, folks, it is a great book. I hope you'll look into it. Katie, how long did it take you to write Aspirations of the Heart? The research itself took about six months just to really get inundated and to hurl myself into that time period. And then from there, I would take notes and develop characters. And um, I write in picture form sometime, and I'll draw things out. Um, and so from there, it took another six months, so a year and complete to complete the whole entire process. Then you go through editing. You go through you know developing what the cover looks like. And I have to give a huge shout-out. And for those who are watching online, the, the cover I love. It is so simple, and it absolutely just sums up the entire concept of the book with the tonics but um mark babcock over at deeds publishing who's the creative director designed this cover it's so simple but it just is perfect because it totally captures the essence of the book covers are very important they are they absolutely are now you've given away the fact that this is going to be a series how many books do you have planned infinite infinite and I say that because... Little House on the Hospital. <laughs> no. Well, the fabulous thing is there is no end. You don't have to end anything until I think the story tells itself it's ready to end. And I love having that infinite possibility of taking this through time and time periods that were going on. This is before the Great War, you know, before mm-hmm. what we now know as World War One. Yes. So there were things that were going on in our country, not only in our country, but internationally. And so I'm ready to take this character into that world of World War One, World War Two, and you can take it to the beyond and take it into current and I even think you could take it to the future. So that's what's the fun part about this project is that it's limitless now are you working on the second book as we sit i am i am definitely um, working on the second book um i don't have a timeline yet i'm hoping next year that we'll have it finished but again the muse will have to tell me when it's finished and my editor (laughs) what is your process your working process like when you're writing a book I enjoy, uh, my mornings are my best time to write. I think that's when I'm most clear-headed, of course, after a cup of coffee. And I bloom over my cup of coffee like a flower. I have to bloom, get form sentences, simple words. Once that process is done, I like to kind of absorb myself into the process of writing, put myself 
into the characters' heads. And from there, I let this story go. And I just kind of let it flow through me. I like being in that zone because the story takes over. The characters take over. I can hear their voices. um, And as they can authentically tell that story that they're telling in that particular chapter or what the characters are doing, the evil characters and how they can be even more evil and schmarmy, um, that's what I enjoy. Uh, Sometimes I'll draw things out if I get stuck. I'll look at magazine pictures. How would I describe a room that looks, you know, in amber colors and how would I describe um, a particular environment I'll look to the papers at that particular time to see what the weather was like maybe something will inspire me about the weather um, so it is a total tactile process I'll put things up on a wall on post nuts I'll draw things out I'll outline in a circle and for this particular book I'm glad you mentioned that research side because we are not one dimensional people So I did not want the characters of the storyline to be one-dimensional. The issues that were going on socially and in fashion and politics locally and nationally, in medical advances and what buildings were being um, erected throughout Atlanta at that particular particular time, then what I did, and even the Oreo cookie thing. So, you know, I put this timeline together for each of those very specific issues and took it from about the late 1800s to the mid-1900s found my sweet spot through all of that so then I could tell that story picking up at this particular point in time which happened to be 1913 and when you do that I think you then are able to weave together a story that has all those particular sections in it very good very good we ask that question to our writers who come in here I think that's one of the better answers oh thank you really enjoy that now aspirations of the heart is published by Deeds Publishing. You've already mentioned that. Your first book, though, was self-published, yes. and you did a nice job. Talk about the differences. What is the different experience between an established publisher or doing it yourself? Well, when I did uh, publish Couch Home with Carolyn, I had a fabulous editor, and her name was Sally Boyles. And Sally and I worked together on every aspect of the book because we were also talking about uh, friends and colleagues of mine we call the Dunley Girls they were also very instrumental in putting their thumbprint on the project itself because it was also their story being told and so Susan Bainham Miller was instrumental in creating the cover for us and so um, it was a group process and a group project then as I work with Deets Publishing House who I adore and I love and are my forever publishing house the fabulous thing is again it's no different it's a group effort you still have to have great work you still have to have it edited you know i love the fact that the creative process and the creative team there have my back they know what the story is about and they can create a beautiful cover and um they've had award-winning covers before so i think that to me is this is a team process a team project we're all in it together and i'm proud to work with them because i represent their house Mm -hmm. and they represent my work so it's that symbiotic teamwork relationship where we're going to take this to the next level and I'm going to just, you know, make them proud. Now, do you still use Miss Boyles before you send the manuscript into Deeds or do you just rely on Deeds editors? No, at this point in time, I have my Deeds editors. And so um, when you work with the publishing house, then contracts ensue. And so um, we work uh, on it with that business relationship and I love it. It's fabulous. What kind of writing groups uh, do you belong to? 
There's a couple in Atlanta that I belong to, um, the Atlanta chapter of National Association of Pen, American League of Pen Women. Um, we belong to, or I belong to the Atlanta Writers Group, Atlanta Writers Club, uh, the Georgia Writers Association. Now, are these mainly support or the information? What What do these groups do for you as an author? All the above. Um, I think it's networking because you learn from other authors. And I think as they tell their stories and experiences working and publishing and telling their, you know, uh, selling their books, I think there's a lot to be learned from each other. Um, I love hearing other s- success stories as well. Um, and hearing some of the challenges and hurdles sometimes people have to go through, pitfalls to avoid. And so I think it's in that storytelling that they themselves have to share that the networks can come together and serve as resources for each other. You serve as a speaker. Uh, what is the best way for groups or individuals or folks who are looking to have you come to their meeting? Huh. How can they get in touch with you? Thank you. Um, again, my website or Facebook um, is ideal. Uh, Facebook author page is Katie Hart Smith. And again, the website is www.katiehartsmith.com. And in fact, Kennesaw State University reached out so that I could speak at their Phenomenal Women's Conference this past year. And it was because of your radio show, the prologue that they heard this show, and were able to um, call me and contact me and reach out to me so that I could speak to an incredible group of women that day. So thank you very much for this. Well, folks out there, we'd love to hear from you by email what you thought of the show. We really would. Now, is there anything we've left out real fast? No, I just want to thank again my publishing house, Deeds Publishing, um, for creating an incredible project and walking this project with me. Um, To the city of Atlanta, who I adore and love and can't wait to write more stories about her. And to all those who support my work and support other readers' works, um, it's through you that our support base continues to grow. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much for coming back, for trusting me and this program, for uh, getting the word out about your new book. Thank you very much. For helping to do that. Now, listeners, I want you to tell your friends about the show and how they can listen to the free podcast that will be available early next week. Now, uh, that's it for this hour. I want to thank my guest, Katie Hart-Smith. And for myself and her, I want to say be good to yourselves and each other. Read a book. If it's not one of Katie's, maybe it'll be one of mine. And I'll see you all again in just 167 hours. Take care. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.